Welcome, and thank you for listening to Second Chance Cinema with MC and Spro, a podcast that takes a second look at films that stayed under the radar for any number of silly reasons. Before we begin our show, just a warning that our hosts do not censor their curse words and tend to spoil movies' endings. So if you haven't seen today's film, considering pausing this episode, watching it, and tuning in later. They won't take it personally. As always, MC and Spro, two well-mannered, handsome, wonderful boys, appreciate all their listeners and look forward to debating the greatness of this hidden gem. I'm MC's mom, and I have not been compensated for this introduction. Enjoy the show. Oh, look at here. Looks like somebody threw away a perfectly good white boy. And he sure looks a hell of a lot like that, dude. We're screwed. What do you mean, we? You pulled the trigger, pal. Look, Lewis, we gotta talk. See, Lewis, Carl sort of knows this guy. So? I don't know him at all. Well, he, what I'm trying to say is he, is, is he shot him with a pellet gun. But he thought he hit him in the butt. I did hit him in the butt. You two seem to be in some serious shit here. I need a drink. Look, Lewis, I know that I did not kill this man. You see, last night, this guy here was beating on his old lady. So I took it upon myself to end the dispute. So you shot him? With a pellet gun. So you said. Now you shot him from where? From my apartment. So how in the hell did he end up here? Why don't you ask him? Have something. It'll settle your nerves. My, my, my nerves don't need settling. What is the, uh, the maximum sentence for murder? I did not murder anyone. Jesus Christ, James, whose side are you on? I am not taking sides. Yes, Carl. you are. You've already convicted me. As far as you're concerned, I'm on my way to death row. Now, Carl, come on. Well, let me tell you something, pal. You are in it as much as I am. You were there. That makes you an accomplice. Look, you little bastard. I never wanted you to do it in the first place. I was totally against it. Try explaining that to the judge. I am not going to have to explain anything to any judge. This is your ball game, Carl. You are an asshole. And you are a trigger-happy idiot. Well, I am not going to rot in prison alone. Well, you're not going to mess up my life, you son of a bitch. Hey! Uh, hey. What are you doing? Uh, oh, you God. and your stupid pellet gun. Uh, hey. oh, oh. In the history of cinema, there have been movies about astronauts, lawyers, doctors, pilots, police officers, firefighters, and basically every other occupation under the sun except garbage men until 1990. When we, as intrepid filmgoers, willing to take a risk on a couple unknown kids, basically, were gifted the film Men at Work. Welcome to Second Chance Cinema. I'm one of your hosts, MC. With me, as always, is my comforting co-host, Spro. Spro, how are you? I, I, I am great. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm okay. I'm, uh, I'm sort of in awe that we're discussing Men at Work on Second Chance Cinema because, well, let me just say it. There's so much to unpack about it. Yeah. There really is. We're also joined by a very special guest who you've heard before on some of our other episodes. Joining us from Arizona, the Sunshine State, um, we are very, very happy to welcome our uh, friend and film aficionado, Lee Charles. How are you, sir? What up? So you recommended this movie. You you suggested that we do it, and you suggested that that we really dive into it. And I have to be honest, knowing you as I do, I know that you're a, well, like I said, a film aficionado, and you have um, a taste for a lot of revered films, high art, a lot of, um, uh, you know, a lot of well-respected directors. So I have to ask you, why did you choose this film? I think it actually, it's you can line it up with uh, the other one that I suggested to you guys, The Ice Artist. I think it's it's similar in the sense that not just because it's a comedy, but that sort of subgenre of hangout movie. It's one that was always on HBO when I was growing up, and it made me feel like I was hanging out with these guys. And it was always a pleasure, if it was on, to watch it from beginning to end. 
Spro, have you had when was the last time you saw this movie before we watched it? I've never seen it. The only thing I remember from men at work was seeing the VHS tape in the video shop, which was the like low budget mom and pop video rental store that was down the street from me. And I remember, you know, seeing the poster, which had Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez on it before I knew that they were related standing in front of a garbage can, which I didn't even realize inside the garbage can is a dead man's body until I was actually looking at the poster while waiting for everybody to sign on today. And I was like, oh, there are legs in that, which I have never noticed. So this was my first introduction to this movie. Before we dive into the movie and the discussion, there's a little tradition we have here on Second Chance Cinema, which we actually updated during our last episode that has to do with poetry and our affinity for describing these movies in in ways that are dear to our heart. Before last episode, we used to just pick what type of poem we were going to do sort of willy nilly, which was really undisciplined of us. And I think we're better than that. So last episode, we introduced the Wheel of Poetry and on the Wheel of Poetry are five selections that that can be used to complete this part of the show. There's limerick, toast slash roast, haiku, ABAB form, and song parody. So what we're going to do now is uh, we're going to spin the Wheel of Poetry. We're going to land on a category. And then the three of us are going to have whatever the length of the trailer is to compose a poem in that vein. Sound good? Sounds good. Spro, you want to spin the wheel? Ready? Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, we've landed on Limerick. Limerick. (laughs) So I'm going to assume that everybody knows what a Limerick is. Um, If not, you... No, do not. Do not assume (laughs) that. If if not, you've got some time to Google it. But but for right now, um, we're going to go ahead and play the trailer for Men at Work, and then it's Limerick time. <laughs> All right, here we go. In the two years you have worked here, you have broken just about every city ordinance that pertains to this line of work. Well, you can't say we haven't been a lot of laughs. <laughs> Gotta complain about banging trash cans on P Street at 6 a.m. this morning. You always have to think about this. No, no sir. Pump it up a little more, get the party. This is the last year we throw trash. You said that last year. Yeah, but this year I mean it. You meant it last year. Just think of the garbage business as a way station on the road to Nevada. What was that for? You didn't like it. No, I liked it a lot. Then shut up. This is the, uh, the maximum sentence for murder. I did not murder anyone. Emilio Estevez, our men at work. Pump up the jam indeed. I wonder how many examples of pop culture media from from the 90s that song is playing behind in some degree, whether it's like the background of the movie, a trailer, health and fitness club with a lot of neon and bike shorts. I don't know. So Limerick is what we landed on. Who wants to go first? Well, the guest always goes last. We think fuck. I had a Google limerick. I used to do a limerick like every other show. You never paid attention. I, I like I remember. No, I I pay attention all the time. But I remember like the cadence of it. But I was like, what are the actual you know rules? Like I got haiku is five seven five. Like I understand that. But so I looked it up. All right, you want to go first then? Yeah, I'll go first. Just this might be my first limerick ever. All right, here's to the garbage men clanking trash cans at four a.m. They inspired Estevez to write his best reminder. Keith David is the man. I like it. Keith David. We'll talk about him later. Here's mine. The critics all said it was crap. They said that they all took a nap. We thought it was keen. Estevez and Sheen. Let's celebrate with a golf clap. Uh, Very good. (laughs) All right. Lee Charles, let's hear it. Boys just want their own surf shop. They're constantly hassled by the cops. A body is found. They cart it around and 
Keith David's psychoticness is nonstop. Psychoticness. <laughs> you might be the first one ever to make up a word on the show. <laughs> What's the proper noun form of psychosis? Psychosis. psychosis. Uh, psychoticness sounds much more menacing, though. So nicely done. Lee Charles, you recommended this movie. So you mentioned before that it's it's what's called a hangout movie. When you frame it like that, the movie seems to make a lot more sense in terms of why it's just effortlessly enjoyable. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. You know, it's just a couple of dudes. You know, when I watched this movie when I was younger, I was living at home, obviously, and I was probably between 10 and 15 when I watched it. It came out on DVD somewhere around 2001 or 2002, and I remember my brother snatched it up too sweet, and it was the entire summer of 2002. He and I probably watched it 50 times. When you're young and you're living at home and, you know, these Two, these two guys are, you know, not necessarily partying, but they're good buddies. They got jobs. They got a place to live. They live by the ocean. <laughs> they don't take life too seriously. They're pretty cool, funny. Yeah, it was endearing. I was already in love with Emilio too, by the way. Let's see, so Emilio would be Young Guns by then. So what I'm gathering from this is that Men at Work for You was a pretty sentimental movie. Yeah, after time passed. I mean, when I watched it, it was like any other movie that I watched a thousand times over and over again. It was it was comforting. But then as time went on and it disappeared off my radar and then reappeared with the DVD release, became this nostalgic rewatch. So do you have the DVD? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. I couldn't like find it for anything cheaper than like 25 to 40 dollars when I was uh, looking that for was it. A, that was a bargain bin favorite for a long time. But yeah, my brother worked at a mall at the time. So he was always popping around in all the stores. He was the one that brought it home. As soon as I saw it was on DVD, I went and picked myself up a copy. Can we legitimately say that this is an 80s film? Like I know it was released in 1990, but this is quintessential 80s, like through and through. I mean, it's right on the cusp because I would argue that the hairstyles and the jewelry, specifically Emilio's earring, are straight 90s. Um, (laughs) But again, the bad guy's giant cell phone, that's classic 87. So I think it toes the line between... You know, that great era that was the late 80s and early 90s. The bad guy, straight out of Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. I didn't realize that guy was a career bad guy. And Curly Sue. I used to get called that in uh, in grade school because I have curly hair. So thanks for bringing that up. Anyway, the um, so let's talk about the bad guy. So the bad guy, if if anything is typically 90s about this movie, it's the bad guy who is a toxic waste baron, which is a trope that I, off the top of my head, Karate Kid 3 is, is, is my favorite toxic waste baron villain, but there are tons of others. And he plays the character, well, a little over the top in terms of like the smarmy, you know, just greedy villain, but it wasn't. I didn't get the vibe of like the caricature of just just ridiculousness. Like he was almost eerily believable. First, you lose the body. And then you deliver me the wrong tape. Now, I don't think that either of you personally set out to destroy my company. But I sent you out on a simple task. And simply put, you lost it up. Now, apparently... Berger had a special relationship with his campaign manager, a, uh... Susan Wilkins, 825 Esplanade. That's where we ice Burger, Chief. I know where that is. Well, did it ever occur to you two idiots that she might have the cassette? I think he wants us to kill some more people. Okay. Have you ever seen uh, the Coen Brothers' first film, Blood Simple? Because John Getz, that actor, is the lead in that movie. It gives you a little bit of a, a stark difference between this performance and and what he's act- the man is actually capable of. Or if you've ever seen Social Network, he's been in a couple of uh, Fincher's later films. But I mean, we were just saying, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. He's a sleazebag. Curly Sue, he's a sleaze. He's the same character in all those movies and this. And it doesn't feel to me realistic at all. Find it, find it, find it, find it, find it, find it. <laughs> See, to me, to me, I didn't get the exaggerated vibe until the ver- like near the very end where they like thwart him and send him down the tube of toxic waste or whatever. Like I thought there were there were some silliness, but at the same time, I thought he was kind of like genuinely unnerving and menacing. I guess that's what I mean. Good. Who did Curly Sue? That was John Hughes. I don't know that he directed it. He may have. I can tell you for sure he definitely wrote it. But is, um, is he is that guy a John Hughes guy? Because I know John Hughes was behind the scenes on this one. What? You didn't know that? No. John Hughes was originally supposed to direct and then stepped aside and Estevez took the place. No way. According no, to internet research. All right. I did not know that. 
Yeah, no, he's he wasn't in any Hughes movies that I've seen, and I've seen most, if not all of them. So gotcha. So I was gonna say, diving into the plot, we've got Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez as they're not brothers, right? They're just friends. Yeah. Because and, and I didn't realize that until the end when I saw that Emilio Estevez's name in the movie is James St. James, which made me laugh when I saw okay. that in the credits. But as I'm watching this movie, of course, I'm familiar with all of these actors from other movies. So I'm thinking this movie represents what could potentially be an epilogue for the Bud Fox character from Wall Street after he's been arrested and jailed and now he works as a garbage man. And and a side quest sort of deal for Gordon Bombay, maybe in between when he gets arrested for drunk driving and then goes to coach the Mighty Ducks. And for Keith David, a prologue before he gets promoted to general in Armageddon because he was a military guy. He was a little crazy, but then I like to think he got his life together. And then eight years later, he was General Kinsey in Armageddon. Or what about a sequel to Platoon where Keith David and Charlie Sheen were uh, were brothers in arms? Maybe they oh, had such okay. drastic PTSD that they forgot they knew each other and uh and they met up that's why he's secretly like low-key violent with emilio estevez but not with with charlie sheen's character carl because he's like i don't know why but i feel strangely linked to this guy see this is when we say there's a lot to unpack about these movies this is what we mean because this is a canon that we've just invented that i would camp all night for tickets to this show so their characters are established pretty early as like you said lee charles earlier uh like cool guys emilio estevez I think his character, the first scene you see him, he's like, he wakes up on the beach with this girl, surfboard, long hair, everything cool in the 90s. Charlie Sheen wakes up in his apartment and he's like peeping on the neighbors across the way with his binoculars. He's got an air rifle. He kind of doesn't tell his boss to fuck off, but he's kind of like, yeah, I'm on it. And then hangs up the phone. So right away, these guys are endearing and charismatic when it comes to like, okay, I get exactly what these guys are about. What I like about this era of movies, though, is they don't rush it. Like they're like, we're just going to let this slowly unfold. And they give you things that you don't realize are going to be integral to the plot later on. Like I just thought Charlie Sheen was peeping on his neighbors. He sees the guy with the binoculars looking back at him but that really has nothing to do because he's gonna still peep and he sees a girl and you gotta you go oh that's kind of the love interest but what this whole thing is setting up is the fact that his peeping tom is going to be integral to the inciting incident of the plot which is the the death of the mayor he wasn't the mayor yet city councilman city councilman so and that's that's where the plot picks up when they're picking up trash one day and they stumble upon the classic bright yellow toxic waste barrel with a a dead city councilman inside. Speaking of the toxic waste barrel, one of the little things in this movie that made me laugh was when they show the bad guy's office, he's got a little diorama of little toxic waste barrels on his desk. And I was like, I appreciate that attention to detail because that 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 makes me feel like this bad guy is invested. This is still a movie that you can find a beautiful metaphor for our heroes who clean up the trash and essentially save the environment, combating the forces of evil that do the exact opposite by destroying the environment. And I think that's really nice. And doesn't that theme smack of the 90s? I think maybe that's why, not just everything else, but that theme is so 90s. It feels like when we were just absolutely inundated with Earth Day propaganda and Save the Rainforest propaganda, and we had to sing that fucking song, The Rainforest, Mm -hmm. The Tropical Rainforest. I'm so glad that came up during this episode. I haven't thought about that song in 25 years, and now I'm never going to stop thinking about it. <laughs> um, Spro, why don't you f- illuminate the interesting bit of trivia that you shared with me earlier today? I was listening to a, another podcast, uh, you know, Rising Tide Lifts All Ships, so I'll shut them out. It's the NPR Throughline podcast, and back in the last autumn, they did a show about recycling. And the one guy, the one host on it says, like, oh, I don't like recycling. Recycling. So then they did a deep dive to figure out, you know, why this man was so opposed to recycling. And what they found out was recycling was an invention after World War II by the plastic factory so that they made the disposal of their products the responsibility of the consumer so that then they can further process and manufacture single serving items. That sounds more cynical than the plot of this movie. So like the people, I think it's like Keep America Beautiful or America the Beautiful or whatever organization that was that had the crying Indian. That was the plastic corporations putting out that 
And anytime you like, you see somebody who litters, oh, the litter bug, I think there was somebody called Susie Litterbug or whatnot that was on commercials back in like the 70s. That was all paid for by the plastic corporations. And what they were trying to do was to make people feel guilty for, and obviously it's a good thing, like we shouldn't just throw plastic anywhere, but really we're throwing plastic anywhere in landfills. It doesn't matter whether it's in the landfill or it's on the ground, it's, it's still polluting the earth. That's interesting. But it also kind of adds a new like sort of punk rock element to the people that have like one of those giant Gatorade bottles in their car with them. And they're like, I'm not pulling over to piss. And they just fill it with steaming, frothing urine and then throw it out. And you see it in the, you know, on the side of the highway. Those people are heroes. Yes. I have never seen a Gatorade bottle full of urine. Well, that's the Arizona state flower. (laughs) Oh, okay. I'm trying to wrap my head around what size Gatorade bottle. Can you illuminate that at all? The chunky one, you know, not, not okay. the not the little not the little guy that looks like a twenty ounce soda, but right. the big fat the fat one. Okay, so I'm thinking that that's like thirty two ounces. That's that's interesting and um, kind of impressive actually. If you if you can do that in a moving car, it's got so, the wide mouth too. So that's well that that wouldn't be a problem um, for me anyway. So. <laughs> So the, the 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 little things about this movie that I noticed, there's a part where they're collecting the garbage and they go to this woman's house and she opens her gate and she's like, hi, and she gives Emilio Estevez a hug and then we never see her again. Can anyone explain that to me? Does anyone remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's just showing that Emilio is good with the ladies. I mean, he wakes up with one on the beach. I think that was kind of doing garbage men a service because you don't think of garbage men being ladies men, right? And so I feel like uh, this was doing, yeah, garbage men a service to be like, no, Emilio Estevez, garbage men by day, ladies man by night, smell doesn't bother anybody. And it goes with the story because that's when Carl is kind of talking about how he, you know, wants to settle down and get serious and how, you know, he can't figure it out with the ladies and and James is like I don't ever have any problems and he's like yeah that's because you're a child and you don't take anything serious he's like what's the last girl you took seriously and he's like uh uh uh, Betsy Sabetta dear John I'm sorry things didn't work out for us you're a sweet man and I'll always love you aww you know this is the kind of shit that really breaks me up it's an epidemic I tell you what is just women, relationships, all of it. I never have a problem with it. Hi, James. Morning, baby. <laughs> it's because you got no heart. What? You got no heart. Who's the last girl you were serious about? Uh, um, uh, Betsy Sabetta. Betsy Sabetta? That was in the ninth grade, and she had a hair lip. She did not. She did too. She did not. She did too, did too. What do you know about her anyway? I know she had a hair limp. It gives a little bit of the background to let you know why Sheen is all about Leslie Hope's character. This movie was filled with little Easter eggs, which I appreciated. Another one was, I think it was maybe even during like the opening credits, Charlie Sheen is picking up garbage from a public waste bin and somebody, I think it was maybe even like a kid on a bike or something goes, hey, mister. And he just goes, shut up, dickhead. Like (laughs) completely unprovoked, unless I'm missing something. It's one of those weird like throwaway lines that I feel like had I found this movie long, long time ago, I would still be quoting to this day and then i loved when after they do the the wonderful montage of them sort of just joking around with the trash can lids and throwing the bowling ball and just kind of like having fun as as garbage men they go into their boss's office and the boss just says he's saying like we got some complaints and then he says did you roll a bowling ball down the alley and charlie sheen just goes nope and that's that it made me wonder what would happen if if this movie was set in the time of like everybody videotaping everything and then posting it to youtube as a complaint like I'm gonna you're gonna be on YouTube you're gonna be on YouTube oh this is my it's my right to video you you're gonna be on YouTube but instead Sheen was just like nope and that was that It was beautiful. It wasn't the Shaggy defense. It wasn't me. Exactly. It wasn't me. What was the other guy's name in that song? Uh, Shaggy and... um, Thankfully Forgotten. Damn it. I can't remember. It'll come right at the end of the show. We'll think of it. I wanted to say that this movie's not overly directed by Emilio. You know, there's not like all... He wasn't... He he didn't set out to be like, I'm going to... Man, my dad worked with Francis Ford Coppola and and Oliver Stone. And I'm, you know, I'm going to make a fucking name for myself in the business. It's just... It's very, very peacefully directed film but that sequence of them running around like the slow motion of them walking and the that whole montage of them of playing with the trash my favorite 
is the real quick shot <laughs> of Sheen in front of the side of the garbage truck. And he's just ducking and that the whole watermelon just smashes right above his head. That's all it's I It's good say. stuff. And, and, and Emilio is a director. I wrote down in my notes, Emilio is a director, not a Tarantino, not a Scorsese, not an Oliver Stone, certainly not a Michael Bay, but good. <laughs> the flip side is what I appreciate, not the montage, but I always appreciate and I always see when a director does a long shot and kind of let, just lets the actors act. And there are a lot of long shots in this of, say, Emilio and Charlie. The first one you'll see is them grabbing trash from the curb and then taking it to the trash can, meanwhile delivering lines. I didn't sleep for shit last night. Why not? Gina. 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 Gina! Let her go, man. Let her go. I have, I have. She is historical. I bet you couldn't see yourself with a garbage man the rest of her life. Didn't you tell her you weren't going to be a garbage man the rest of your life? Didn't you tell her about our surf shop? I told her. I think she was getting pressure from her family. Her father never liked you. Yeah, what does he know? Well, life's a bitch, right? Hey, ain't that the truth. I tell you, Carl, this is the last year we throw trash. You said that last year. Yeah, but this year I mean it. You meant it last year. Hey, Carl. Is this yours? Nah, it ain't my color. It's a bra, James. Nowadays in film, they would probably have like eight to 20 cuts in that one scene. But this one just kind of lets it play out. Like hangout movie is probably the greatest way to describe it because you get to just kind of hang out with these guys on the trash truck. And it makes being a garbage man look like a pretty nice gig if you could get, especially in like a nice city. Like where are they at? They're in Long Beach, right? Long Beach, yeah. I mean, look, as a kid, (laughs) garbage truck was one of the coolest things you ever saw because these dudes came early in the morning, like, like vigilantes almost. They threw all this stuff in the back of a truck that you didn't want. And then they pulled the lever and this giant massive platform came down and crushed everything to me as a kid that was unfathomable like that was that was the closest thing to a real life transformer that that existed in in my childhood so the notion of of this being the first and potentially only movie about heroic garbage men i'm on board with that it was filmed in redondo and hermosa beaches the name of the town that they live in is Lost Playas. Yes, fictional. That's not a real place. I looked it up. I wonder if that's because they're both playas in the movie. Los Playas is the beaches. Oh, all right. Nice. So they just lived on the beach. That that works. So yeah. um, let's talk about the airbags filled with shit. That... <laughs> That to me, the first time I ever saw this movie, um, I'm guessing it was probably about eight years ago, and it was purely on the recommendation of that scene specifically, or rather those two scenes, because they get it twice. If there's one thing that I kind of wish they would have explored more in this movie, it was the rival garbage men, because they were they were serviceable in terms of like they helped move the plot forward, especially toward the end when they cut the brakes and stuff like that. But leading off with a prank that involves filling someone's locker with an airbag and filling that airbag full of shit just it, for me it peaked way too early and i would have loved to have seen more back and forth just pranks between those guys you know what it reminded me of it reminded me of in bad boys and bad boys too when will smith and martin lawrence are always jawing with the other two cops and they're just insulting each other back and forth but it's hilarious but at the end they're also just like we're on the same team here i would have loved to see see more of the pranks just based on that one that we saw i agree the one prank looked like it like when uh, they're sneaking up on the locker and the airbag with shit just explodes in their face they had to hurt no i can't imagine doing more than one take for that that seemed like i imagine that was like a one take stunt essentially akin to like the true lies limo off the bridge while he's grabbing her from the skylight you get one take to do this and they nailed it as far as the other garbage men go what explain them to me because one's a rastafarian yep, and the other is that. like what the fuck <laughs> It's like a biker or something. He was like a no, he because he he had, he had like a mullet kind of or like a ponytail, and he was kind of all over the place. But even in between those two and the um, the hitmen guys, whose license plate said hitmen, which again I respect, they had a repartee. Also, the the two hitmen, there was the guy, the one guy was Italian, so the other guy was picking on him for that sometimes, and then the other guy got tased, which I thought was pretty funny because his belt buckle lit up. That was good. Oh, and then even the bike cops who pull over 
uh, Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen in the beginning, they had three sets of duos that could have been really, really funny in in more scenes, I think. That's a good point. I was going to say that all the duos are great. The two garbage men that they kind of uh, war with playfully, uh, they're my second favorite. But the trio, when you get Emilio and Charlie together with Keith David, for me, that's where the movie just takes off. Let's talk about Keith David because he, Keith David is, I would I would argue that Keith David is the the star, the darling of this movie because of just his ridiculousness. He's what I remembered the most from seeing it eight years ago and then going to rewatch it. I was like, oh, I remember Keith David being pretty funny in this movie. Not to be confused with David Keith, who um, of course plays rival slugger Jack Parkman in Major League Two alongside Charlie Sheen. Just a little trivia for you there. But Keith David plays this, and and it's kind of funny how he gets introduced to the movie. He's the the sanitation chief's brother, and he's supposed to be supervising Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez because of all the complaints they've gotten, which is kind of a convenient way to introduce a ridiculous character, no? <laughs> yeah, brother-in-law. Brother-in-law, well, that, okay. That's the 90s, early 90s version of the potential surveillance of, of YouTube. Instead of having that out there, you got to send a, a babysitter. Over. Right, so, and they do, and he, where does he joins them for their first route together? That's where they find the body. And um, I loved his reaction because he was just like, huh, it's a body. Like, there was, there was an escalating reaction between Charlie Sheen. Like, he looked at it and he did kind of like the, not a spit take, but like a slow jaw drop. And then Emilio Estevez came over and looked at it. And I think he was actually holding the lid to the barrel. And then he dropped it. And then Keith David comes over. And and then from there, we get a little weekend at Bernie's action when they get pulled over by the cops. And then they start fleshing the movie out in terms of what is essentially like kind of a detective story, kind of a ne'er-do-well turn good sort of thing as they try to figure out not only who this guy is, but why he's dead and whether or not they caused it. The councilman, the councilman is the one that dies and and the whole mystery behind everything is the fact that the councilman has a recording at the very beginning with the paint thinner bad guy for the hazardous waste dump and he's got him on tape saying that, you know, that he's dumping all this waste. And then through a mix up with Leslie Hope's character, the tape ends up in the wrong hands, the wrong place. And when he is across the street from Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez, as Charlie Sheen thinks he's roughing up Leslie Hope, so he shoots him in the ass with a pellet gun, which is one of my favorite lines because they go, "What what's shooting him with a pellet gun going to do? And Charlie Sheen says, it allows me to aggravate a situation without changing it. What are you doing? I hang shitheads who bully their women. So what are you going to do? Shoot him. What? It's the principle, James. Well, with, with a pellet gun? I mean, what are you going to accomplish using that stupid thing? It allows me to seriously aggravate a situation without actually changing the course of history. It also stings like a bitch. I'm like, oh, yeah, (laughs) it was really deep. So he shoots him and then they both have a beer and celebrate without looking to see that the councilman ends up being strangled to death and thrown into this hazardous waste barrel. And then a getaway car hits a bump and the barrel falls out into the curb. And that's when they find him here. The whole point of this long diatribe that I'm on is the fact that I did not like the councilman's acting at all when he was alive. I couldn't take my eyes off of him when he was dead. This man's (laughs) dead corpse was phenomenal. I applaud this actor's deadness. (laughs) Which brings up a question that I have. So he got killed at night, found the next morning. Then if my calculations are correct, the rest of the movie takes place over the span of about 48 hours. Yet the final time we see him in the movie, he's pretty much in perfect, pristine condition. So the, the science involved in Men at Work, the biology of a decomposing body, I might take a little bit of issue. I'm going to Google how long does it take to a body to decompose? No, I'm not going to Google that, actually, because <laughs> yeah. that'll be... That'll be in my search history. All I'm saying is I've, I've, from what I know, you know, watching the learning channel and stuff like that, I feel like he would have been a little bit more popped open, full of decomposing gases, pus, etc. I mean, what's weekend at Bernie's? How long is that? Dark, I guess it's a weekend. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe bodies decompose different in LA. Can we backtrack though? I feel like we did not pay Keith David the correct amount of respect. Go for it. Preach. Well, pre- 
prior to them finding the dead body, you've got the initial confrontation where Carl is trying to be the peacemaker between, and Emilio's doing the, this sucks. If you want to keep your job over there, I suggest you tell me what you will mumble. I said, this sucks. Basically, so do you. And then he gets punched and then they go to the diner and that's where Keith David has what is still the most quotable and my most favorite scene from the entire movie. When Carl gets them to kind of bury the hatchet and they do that half-assed handshake and, you know, he like slaps his hand instead of shaking it. And Emilio just sort of surreptitiously reaches for one of Lewis's fries while he's drawing that fucked up picture, which we can talk about too. And that's when he grabs him by the wrist and he gives him that speech about sacred things in the world. There are several sacred things in this world that you don't ever mess with. One of them happens to be another man's fries. Now you remember that, and you'll live a long and healthy life. But he squeezes the fuck out of his hand until like you hear like the knuckles crack and shit. And Emilio looks at, at Charlie Sheen and Charlie Sheen's looking at him already and he mouths, what the fuck? And Emilio mouths, I don't know. <laughs> Though <laughs> so you don't steal a man's fries. I agree with that speech entirely. Oh, it's so great. It's so great. My, my favorite Keith David line is when the pizza boy comes and sees Emilio Estevez wheeling the corpse out of the bathroom with the point break Nixon mask on. And uh, Keith David just goes, he's seen too much. And he pulls him in. And that's where the, the guy gets wrapped up in the entire plot. That's the movie that I quote with the friend who recommended this movie to me years and years ago. But the drawing that you mentioned, I got a very distinct Patrick Bateman, American Psycho vibe whenever they showed that. Because if you'll remember from American Psycho, Patrick Bateman was always drawing pictures of like chainsaws and meat and things like that. And they always showed it like over his shoulder where no one else could see it this gave me the same vibe because it was a portrait of an unhinged man uh who in this case was hilarious it's uh i paused it on this viewing which i never had done before and it appears at first glance to be like an American, it's like an American beach with a long pier. But then if you look closer, there's like primitive huts. There's a man fishing wearing, I had to look it up, a non-la, which is like a conical Vietnamese hat, both of which foreshadow his Vietnam flashbacks. And then it really connects his character. And I don't think I made this connection. It really connects his character to that, that guy he played in Platoon, which also starred Charlie Sheen. And then above this very peaceful scene, you have this almost completely vertical what looks like an apache helicopter that's just unleashing like missiles <laughs> and high caliber fucking bullets <laughs> to destroy everything and everyone on this pier they do a good job of of i'm trying to think of the word you made up before painting his psychoticness in a, in a very humorous and vivid way which is which is awesome bro psychoticness is on google is it <laughs> no you sure you're not. on the right google <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the pizza guy is Dean Cameron, whose other famous role is Summer School. When the door opened, like I said, this was my first time seeing it. When the door opened and I saw his face, I was like, oh my gosh, yes. Chain- Chainsaw, right? From Summer School? Yeah, yep. absolutely. And it's yep. funny too, because before you even see him, the door knocks, right? And they've already ordered pizza and it's Pedro's Pizza and Pancakes. Oh, oh yeah. Place sounds dope as fuck. Pizza and pancakes. <laughs> Yeah, like I was like, that doesn't exist, and that should exist. <laughs> I mean, what if they serve the pizza instead of on a pizza oh, crust on a pancake? Like a breakfast pancake pizza? Oh my fucking God. Has that been done yet? This might be how ideas happen. I don't know. Did you guys feel that? I think, well, that's a t-shirt right there. I want a Spro, P- Pedro's Pizza and Pancakes t-shirt. Spro, put a, put a, put a, put a, put a, like a light bulb sound effect in here, or like a twinkling or something, because I feel like this is just a, it's like a genius <laughs> moment. It's like a moment of morphic resonance where we're all thinking the same brilliant thing but miles apart wouldn't that be great though to like have a place where you've been drinking with your buddies all night and then you're like do we want i'm gonna call pedro's do we want a pizza or do we want like a couple of fucking half stacks <laughs> and it would be a tough choice because i'm not a huge fan of pancakes but when you're drunk you can pack it away and that shit will soak up a lot of the booze it's probably actually a better choice I would not be surprised if you could order pizza off menu at IHOP. Like if you go in and just kind of like under your breath, like, hey, give me the pizza. I bet they're like, we got you. The other great thing about this scene, you started it with the, uh, he's seen too much. But at the end, he throws Dean Cameron's head into a wall. And then Emilio Estevez is like, what the fuck? And he's like, he provoked me. (laughs) (laughs) 
Who is it? Pedro's Pizza and Pancakes. Large pepperoni, extra cheese. Yes, indeed. That's us. How much? Eight bucks. How much? Eight bucks. What's going on here? Mind your own business, son. Okay. Thank you, sir. You've seen too much. <laughs> saw you with the body. He can start all kinds of trouble. So you kidnapped him? Good solution. Here, take the money. I won't say anything to anybody. You bet you won't. Whoa! What the hell? I... Extra cheese? You're a madman! He was provoking me. Is Keith David on Twitter? I feel like we could get some Harry Renard luck with this and maybe he'll retweet <laughs> us. I kind of doubt maybe. it. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's got time for Twitter and social media and TikTok and all that bullshit. But, you know. What's he it, doing it, right now? Dream. I don't know, but he is. I would put him alongside Dan Hedaya as my favorite character actor from the 80s and 90s. Shag, um, get in here. Pitch Black, uh, something about Mary. Aliens? He wasn't. You're thinking of Yafet Kodo was in the first Alien. Yeah, he wasn't in any of the Aliens movies. I was thinking of Clueless. My bad. Clueless. He's doing a, is he in Clueless? He shares dad in Clueless. Come on. Oh, Dan Hedaya. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. I thought we were talking. Yeah, no, you're right. He is. He's in Alien Resurrection, Dan Hedaya. That's what it was. See? I know. I mix up the movies sometimes. It's a big jumble in my head. But yeah, Dan Hedaya. I got a 45 and a shovel. I doubt anyone would miss you. Yeah, he's you great. Uh, Keith yeah, he's David awesome. is doing a lot of TV right now, but he was in Night School recently. And then he was also in uh, 21 Bridges, which I haven't seen yet. But somebody he's, on the internet so said good. that he was, should play the evil Morgan Freeman. It should be like Morgan Freeman versus Keith David in a movie. And I was like, yeah, no, totally. I would see that movie. Like Bizarro Morgan Freeman? <laughs> Bro, you mentioned some, um, I think you mentioned some reviews. Are there any that you've highlighted specifically for this episode? Only that San Francisco Chronicle, Mick LaSalle, gave it a zero. The absurdity of seeing these two young actors impersonating garbage men combined with a script that's so clumsy it's remarkable makes the first 10 minutes or so of Men at Work perversely entertaining. So I don't, that doesn't sound like a zero to me. Like, I understand, like, he didn't like the movie, but he, he just said at least 10 minutes was perversely entertaining. That sounds at least like partial credit. And the other thing is, is his a review was saying that when you try to like research all these reviews from before the the internet really was a thing a lot of it you it's just a clickable link that goes nowhere to a 404 or whatever but the log line of the review is pretty much saying that he did not believe that charlie sheen and emilio estevez could be garbage men but here's the thing when it comes to so this film and in dark comedies in general dark comedies are like the bastard stepchild of Hollywood. They never really get anywhere. As far as like the ice harvest that we had, the ref is another one. Very bad things is was one of the films that made me crack up the most in the theater. Critics hated that movie. I don't know. I would be hard pressed to look up what is the best rated dark comedy or best reviewed dark comedy of all time because normally nobody likes it. It's got to be even harder nowadays to get away with dark comedy considering the fact that usually dark comedy the humor in it is off color i'd be willing to bet that big lebowski is probably near the top of that so let me here's a question what differentiates a dark comedy from just a regular comedy does somebody have to die that's that's kind of the common thread i'm getting yeah you're poking fun at stuff that your mom's going to be like, I don't find this funny. This is, that's not, you shouldn't mock that. That's serious. What mom uh, are you basing that off of? <laughs> My own, I suppose. I wouldn't even view this as a dark comedy. That's why I asked because I, maybe it was when we were texting earlier, I never would have considered it a dark comedy either, but once that idea was introduced in my head, I was like, oh, I, I guess I could get behind that. I mean, there's a murder, there's um, corruption, all this kind of stuff. I mean, it wasn't monkey trouble, which is just an honest to goodness comedy. It's a considered American black comedy thriller film. I never found myself on the edge of my seat either. I wouldn't call it a thriller. I would, I would call it Christ. I guess I'd just call it a comedy. I mean, it's not an absurdist comedy. It is never serious. Not once is it serious. I nope, have to like kind of walk back a statement I said because apparently Parasite was a dark comedy and that just won the Academy Award. So, and Dr. Strangelove is a dark comedy. So yeah, I guess I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, fair cool. enough. I was going to say there was one part of this movie that made me legitimately wretch and 
I forget exactly when in the movie, but it's probably around noon, one o'clock, sun's high in the air, baking, heat in uh, the LA beach area. Emilio Estevez says, I need a drink, goes to the cab of the garbage truck, pulls out (laughs) what I can only assume is a sizzling warm bottle of Jägermeister and swigs from it. Now... Jaeger is one of my many vices, along with many of my friends. We don't drink it because it tastes good. We just started drinking it one day and that became a thing. To drink it warm is among the worst experiences one can have. And I say that as a man who a week ago just passed a gallstone. And I think that, that that point in the movie legitimately made me dry heave a little bit. I don't know what he put in that bottle to mimic the swig, but it wasn't Jaeger because if it was, he would have thrown up every take. Charlie Sheen's milkshake. What was Charlie Sheen's milkshake? Oh, dude, I'm so glad you brought it up. It was last night's or yesterday's coffee with probably two tablespoons of vanilla ice cream and then four shots of Jaeger. Don't forget the rest of a bottle of Tylenol. That's called, <laughs> that's called a garbage man. That sounds great. Is that, is that a no, legit I, thing? No, I just made it. No, it is now. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Once bars reopen, I'm, that's the first thing I'm going to order. I want a garbage man and a pizza pancake. Th- this movie has a lot of opportunities for uh, shot names. You go up to a bartender and say, give me a Keith David. And that sounds like a distinguished name. So like, if you get a bartender at like a hipster bar, I feel like that bartender would feel really insecure if he didn't know how to make a Keith David. He'd be like, oh yeah, let me go get that for you. No problem. Did you guys notice, I mean, were you looking deeply into this and looking for like little Easter eggs and stuff? Because I wrote a few down. The Rastafarian garbage man has a wedding ring on. I don't know why that struck me strange. It's just his character doesn't seem like somebody that would be married. He's out cutting people's brakes. I mean, I guess he's the one with a bit of a conscience. He's the one that's like, you know, our beef isn't with the girl. It's with Carl and Lewis. I would pay a million pesos. He doesn't seem like somebody that would be married. I did not notice that. I wonder if that was a conscious decision or if they just, just forgot, forgot to take, take it off. off. Hey, yeah, there's maybe. somebody for everybody. All right. There's somebody that's, for everybody. Well, that's the thought, right? The hope. Other Easter eggs. This one I never noticed just because because I was so excited to be a part of your podcast. By the way, just as a fan, I love listening to the show, guys. It, it's such a blast. That one that you guys had on recently of with you guys and Rudy with The Wizard was so dope. I just, I was laughing out loud like an asshole the entire time. Well, thanks, man. Usually we make a joke about us only having two listeners, but tonight we only have one because you're on, so. <laughs> nice. When they're in whoever's apartment it is, I'm assuming that they're roommates, but when they're in Carl and Lewis's place, it's, it's when Carl's across the way with Leslie Hope's character and they're ordering the pizza and everything. You can see on the wall, there's a poster and it's of Emiliano Zapata and it has the quote on it, better to die on my feet than live on my knees. And I, I don't really think I knew who he was, but he, I looked him up. He's a Mexican peasant who led like a class rebellion aimed at land redistribution. He was kind of like a Mexican Robin Hood. He was very beloved, almost, I guess, probably like uh, Mexico version of Ernesto Che Guevara. He was a hero of the people and was assassinated because of his socialist tendencies. And that's kind of a weird choice for them to put in there in the background. Maybe they thought like nobody would ever be able to see it because it's really small. Like I had to get right up next to the TV. I feel like that was just like the smartest 30 seconds we've ever had. <laughs> on the show? I, yeah, you know, I agree. Between the pancake pizza idea and that, I feel like the intellectual discourse um, has <laughs> skyrocketed. We're not so much a podcast anymore as we are like the Algonquin roundtable of, of internet radio. So just to give you guys a heads up, Rick Rock, that was the guy's name from the Shaggy song. Nah, I don't even, I've never even heard that name in my life. And we bring it full circle just like that. One more, one more, one more. Yeah. Phrenology. Oh. You were born through cesarean, no? No. Well, I mean, it's not an exact science, of course. Apparently not. Mangoes. You you love mangoes. (laughs) How did you know that? Well, well, it's all here in the contours. (laughs) (laughs) So, that's phrenology. It's fascinating, no? No, weird. Wasn't that debunked by this point? Is this woman so wrapped up in her, in her career that she genuinely believes, or is she just kind of horny and into this guy? And she's like, yeah, well, I know phrenology is a bunch of bullshit, but the history of phrenology is frightening. She just goes along with it. Everything that he's, oh, you, you know, you uh, you were the, you were a cesarean section. Uh, uh, you like mangoes, blah, blah, blah. I didn't realize was a, phrenology was a thing. Oh, it's real. But I was going to say, maybe they were kind of poking fun at it in a meta way where um, if it 
had been debunked, they they were just like lampooning the fact that it had once been a thing. I must say, I really liked her hair and I like Annie McDowell's hair. And I don't understand like where these women are that have like this nice big mane of curly hair. Curly noodle like Carol Kane hair. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. dude. Yeah. So anybody want to add any final thoughts about Men at Work? Lee Charles, you know we'd, love, we'd love to hear you. If you were going to pitch this to someone who had never seen it before and even trickier is not a fan of the hangout movie genre, how would you sell it? Or doesn't even know who the Estevez brothers are. Yeah, it would be tough. It would be tough. I think quite honestly, the way you open the show is the most intriguing way. I would steal pretty much verbatim your entire preamble about we've had movies about cops. We've had movies about politicians. We've had movies about teachers and yada, yada, yada. Have you ever seen a movie about garbage men? It would pretty much fall in their lap as a, that sounds interesting or no, I haven't seen a movie about garbage man and I don't give a shit. <laughs> I believe if we were going to like bring it back, I think this would be a great TV show premise idea. And then you can also like bring in like the rival garbage men and, and the hilarious hijinks that can happen. I think this should be a great show. That's not a bad, that's, that's interesting. And then we could probably get more steam behind the, uh, the genesis of a real Pedro's pizza and pancakes. What about an animated men at work? It feels like the same way that Clerks feels. It's about these two guys who are goofballs doing a job that they hate, getting into a little bit of trouble. This movie's a little bit more intricate because of the, the budget, but I think Clerks Animated is fantastic. It was a little on the goofy side, a little on the absurd side, but I would watch an animated Men at Work six episode season. Maybe they get fired at the end of season one. Season two, they're looking for new gigs. You know, I don't know. Well, Lee Charles, we want to thank you for being on a whole show this time. We've enjoyed your snippets previously, and we've enjoyed having you tonight. Before we go, I just want to give a shout out to a friend of ours, Brandon Lee Wise, who's an artist that we follow on Instagram, a very talented artist with a very unique style all his own. You can follow him also at Brandon underscore Lee underscore Wise underscore Art on Instagram or check out BrandonLeeWiseArt.com. Very talented artist. Very good kid. Final thoughts? You know, when you pegged it as nostalgic, you're dead right. I think maybe that's part of the reason that I'm, or most of the reason that I'm so in love with it. It's a, it's a conversation that I can have with one person, you guys now too, but mostly it's a convo that I can have with my brother. And this was one of the movies in between video games that we would watch and uh, and quote constantly. That's really sweet, actually. That's that's a great way to wrap it up. I like that. So we will hopefully be back again at some point with Mr. Lee Charles, who's going to recommend another gem, I'm sure, down the road. And until then, this has been MC and Spro. That's you, man, saying thank you for joining us on Second Chance Cinema. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and tell your friends. Yep. Thank you to Lee Charles for being our special guest in recommending this movie. Men at Work was produced by Epic Productions and distributed by Triumph Releasing Corporation. Second Chance Cinema is a fan of the film and urges you to check it out. Closing credits music is the original Rainforest rap as found on YouTube. We cannot figure out where this magnificent song originated, but we admire the creators. Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you can reach us at secondchancecinema at gmail.com. That's 2ndchancecinema at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at MCNSpro, or check us out on Instagram at 2ndchancecinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us. Leave a review wherever you listen. And be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to as those simple steps make us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible. And isn't that really the whole point? Now go on. Have a wonderful day, you beautiful person, you. We'll be right here in the tropical rainforest waiting. Tropical rainforest.